Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Buey, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering, what a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Welcome to the Maximum Mom Podcast. And today I am super excited to have Cathedral Capitals, one and only Brooke Lively and Pam Meisner. We get the visionary and the integrator of Cathedral Capitals. So this, I can imagine, is going to be an awesome conversation. Now, of course, I'm just noticing Brooke's lovely thing behind her. We're going to have to talk about that, too. Oh, gosh, yes. Thank you so much for joining me. And we were just chatting all about Mother's Day food. So if you got that at the beginning, that was just us discussing our various traditions around Mother's Day and other holidays. Thank you both, Pam and Brooke. I'm so glad to have you today. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah, we're very excited to have you. Well, first, I mean, I always like to know just about your families. You know, here we are, the Maximum Mom podcast. So a lot of times we talk about what makes us moms. So let's start with, we're going to start with Pam. I know she had a lovely Mother's Day yesterday. So Pam, tell us who makes you a mom. I have um, two children, Gabby, who is here. I'm actually um, recording this from Boston. So she's here and newly launched. She's 23. And then I have Jake, who is a junior in college and he is 21. That is fun. You have that young adult age like I have as well. And yeah, Brooke, I know you have a huge family. I have a huge family, but no children. So I've got, we actually, because last night was Mother's Day, we took a picture of what we call the littles. And I think we had probably 15 children under the age of six that we shoved on a couch and took a picture. And I... I'm an absolute baby fanatic. So I got to hold baby Sammy and baby Ryan and baby Lucy. Oh my God. Baby Robbie and baby Eddie. That is so awesome. I love that. So you're like aunt extraordinaire. I am. And I tell my nephews all the time that I will give them anything they want. And their parents just roll their eyes. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. It's time this baby had chocolate cake. (laughs) And they're like, gosh, don't do that. We have to take them home. I'm like, exactly. You're taking them home. Exactly. (laughs) So so Elise, she's like, if grandmothers are bad, then there's, there's auntie boo. Yeah. There's a whole nother level for me. Well, but it's like grandma, but with the energy and enthusiasm of a young person. I mean, grandma, Mm -hmm. it's like grandma on steroids Mm -hmm. with an attitude. To boot. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. I oh, love it. I love it. I wish my kids had an auntie boo. I just think that is amazing. I mean, you know, they love that. I mean, the I, kids. Well, and, and my godchildren have the same thing and they're getting older now. They're about to be 18 and, and 22. And, you know, I, I finally pointed out, I'm like, if you tell me what you want for Christmas, I'll give it to you. Right. And they, they used to put like $30 things on the, I'm like, no, right. no, no, no. I, I will buy your affection. Right. <laughs> I want to win Christmas. 
Yes, it's it's a full contact sport for Brooke Christmas. Now, the year the, uh, my godson asked for a car and it was like a 1973 Cadillac. I'm like, surely there is a junker Cadillac. Like, I thought this was hysterical. If I had to tow this thing onto my best friend's front yard, I would have been totally fine with that. Right. $50,000. Couldn't find it. I had my whole family at Thanksgiving Googling, trying to find this, this car. No. Under, oh, yeah. It was hysterical. I was like, okay, I admit there is an upper limit and $50,000 is over it. I don't know what the limit is, but I know that 50,000 is too much. That's hilarious. We actually bought our son a junker car. It was a Mustang when he was a freshman in high school. And that's, he now rebuilds car engines. This is what he does for his hobby is rebuilding and then selling car engines. But ours was very cheap. I think it was like $1,500 and that I would have done. Oh yeah, absolutely. I could only find fabulously restored ones. That's hilarious. That is so hilarious. Well, tell us a little bit. I mean, I'd like to hear from both of you actually about your career path. And then I really want to talk to you about Cathedral Capital and what you all do, especially for attorneys. And I mean, the attorneys in this maximum lawyer group, all of us can use your services. And so I really want us to dig into that. But Brooke, first you tell us what about your career path? How did you get to where you are now? You know, I, I think I took the path less traveled. I went to an all girls high school and I remember in college, they sent out a statistic saying that the average woman has five to seven careers, not jobs, but careers. And, you know, I think I've really lived up to that. I've tried very hard. I didn't go back to grad school until I was 35. I was in retail forever. Um, Went to grad school, got an MBA in corporate finance, double MBA in corporate finance and investments, and got my CFA, my chartered financial analyst, and did what you're supposed to do. I went to work for a hedge fund, which was not my bliss. (laughs) Meanwhile, my father, who likes to shed his law partners every seven to 10 years, shed his law partners and lost his office manager in the process and said, can you help me run Mm. this firm? And I said, sure. And the hedge fund was like, we don't care if you work from Fort Worth a couple of days a week and Dallas a couple of days a week. So I ran my father's law firm. Eventually I quit the hedge fund and just ran his firm. And that was when I discovered that attorneys don't run their firms by the numbers. It's a truth. I must admit. I was, I, I was shocked. My family is very math based. And, and so we've always been pretty analytical, but I had hired someone to help with sales and marketing. And his client started coming to me and saying, can you do for us what you do for your family's law firm? And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I can. Wow. That's how the company was born. That's amazing. That's so awesome. It's so true though, about us lawyers. We'll talk about that in a minute. (laughs) Now, Pam, tell us about your career path. Well, mine started off as the well-traveled road and then life took over. So I started straight out of college, got my CPA, went to work for um, Pricewaterhouse in Chicago, then transferred. And this is where it got a little off the onto the road, less traveled, transferred right after the wall came down. I'm that old and uh, moved to uh, Warsaw, Poland. And I was the first one in my family in a hundred years to go back 
to the homeland. And so back then it was a lot of mergers and acquisitions. And I connected there um, with my husband at a ball in a castle and with my um, favorite client that then offered me a job. And shortly after we married, my husband and I moved to Moscow, Russia. And um, English is my husband's fourth language. So he travels very, very well. So we moved to Russia and I worked and I opened the, the Russian market for Nestle. And that was phenomenal. I mean, we built it up to close to a billion dollars in sales in just a few years. Now we had Nestle's deep pockets. So um, the, anyway, it, it was fabulous. And then I, we started our family there and I retired because back then I was working 70, 80 hours a week. And, you know, I knew that if I wanted to be a mom, I couldn't do it both. So I retired and we moved from Russia. Nestle was offering me an, an MBA at NCIAD and, and a position in the UK. My husband's coffee company was offering us Japan. So we moved to Tokyo and our family continued to expand. And then my husband got offered his dream job back in Russia. And our second child wasn't meeting developmental milestones. So I brought the children back to the States. And for the next eight years of said retirement, I poured everything into, um, turns out my son, was, our son was diagnosed with autism and everything into him and founded a nonprofit, so on and so forth. Fast forward to my husband and I realized that we should, you know, the purpose of being married is to actually be maybe on the same continent. Maybe. <laughs> and um, so it's the most job, amazing moved, marriage ever. Quit his job, moved home. And, you know, financially we were fine, but it was a prequel to COVID. Everybody was in the house all the time together. Oh, so in lieu of somebody not coming out of this alive, I threw my hat in it and I said, you know, forget it. I'm coming out of retirement. I'm going back to work, if only for my mental health. And I hooked up with the local entrepreneur, spent a decade with him. Fabulous journey and until it wasn't. And so we separated ways and I said, you know what? I had grown my team up. You know, we had a had built a nice organization and I said, you know what? I'm going to go find out what I want to do when I grow up. And on that journey, um, I found Brooke. And so wow. I've been with Brooke since. And, you know, Brooke has amazing aspirations for herself in Cathedral Capital. And on our journey, everybody knows I like a good book. We, we started to read daily some, <laughs> some um, books that kind of led us to the, the integrator uh, visionary connection. And so earlier at the end of last year, we began to have conversations and, you know, it's not easy conversations Yep. because the proposal of, of the visionary integrator is, is one where the visionary has to come to grips with their skill set, and they have to entrust what has become quite honestly, their child to somebody else to take it to the next level. Right. And that is hard to do. It sure is. It definitely is. Yeah, we will talk about that because it is definitely definitely hard to do. I mean, it's a project. What, yeah, I mean, what would you say? As I mean, you and I are in the same boat, both visionaries of our businesses, and we started around the same time. I started at the end of last year as well. 
dealing with this and um, moving in that direction. I mean, what would you say has been one of the hardest things for you as a visionary, you know, implementing traction in the EOS system and um, in that whole visionary integrator model? For me, it's really been finding my new role in the company. Yeah. And, And this is something that I've been struggling with for a while. Like, who does the company need me to be and how do I become that company? Right. And, and what is my new role in supporting the team? And we make a lot of jokes about my special sauce and how I continue to spread my special sauce in, you know, in the team, but doing it from that, that visionary place, as opposed to the place of the person who solves all the problems, which is where I've been in the past. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Well, and Pam, for you, like, how has it been for you having those conversations with Brooke? Because I think you mentioned it, you know, about visionaries understanding, you know, their skill sets limited (laughs) and not, you know what I mean? Like there's things we do really well, I think, as visionaries. And then there's other things we do not so well. And let's face it, till you get up to the point that you're going to consider. And I've been a number two, a visionary or an integrator before. So I'm, I understand what the role is. I understand the positives and the negatives. Mm -hmm. And I've said this many times, I would not do it again if it weren't for Brooke. Right. If it weren't for the way that she's handled the tough conversations. The thing is, is that you as the the visionary who is usually the, the principal owner, you've had to do it all. The company couldn't have not have gotten to this level if you didn't have some resonant skill set in all the areas of the business, right? But the, the question that I think most visionaries have to ask themselves is, I got it here, but can I get it there? Right. You know? and, and what, uh, as your business goes from, you know, just getting to a certain point to then stabilizing to to um, becoming predictive, and then maybe one day to scaling, those need different kinds of leaders, right? Right. And in the case of, of Traction EOS, they talk about you really need two kinds of leaders or more kinds of leaders. And until that, that visionary is ready to let go of some of that, you know, and, um, you know, go off and do the type of leading that they need to do and let somebody else bring up the, you know, stabilize the business until they're ready to let that go. Then it it usually, it doesn't go well unless the visionary is, is completely on board with this is my skill set, And while I can do this to a point, the business needs a different kind of leader that I am not to get it to the next level. Right. And, but that, and Elise, it's a lot of grieving, right? Because it is a lot of grieving and it's a lot of, you know, how like you're talking to your children or you're talking to somebody and all of a sudden your mother's voice comes out of your mouth. Oh, yeah. You say that thing that you swore you would never say. I have the same experience with the team and I'm like, I, I know this isn't my job anymore, but I just have to say, <laughs> And I'm like, and Pam, how many emails do you get? I'm like, I'm totally sorry. I am just like, I can't control it. And and she's been really patient with that because it is a process of letting go and and realizing that 
there are things that she's better suited to do than I am. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the other thing is it's going to look different in the next stage of your business's development, right? And the skill set that entrepreneurs have, that visionaries have, is the quick, you know, firefighting. I got this. I got this. I know how to do this. Boom, 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 boom. Fix it, fix it, fix it. Right. And that's not scalable. And so to stop firefighting and to build systems is the job of the integrator. And so one of the things that has to happen is balls have to drop. So you can say, okay, the system that let the ball drop was this. And then what do we need the system to be? So the ball doesn't drop the next time and the next time and the next time. And that slows things down and irritates the bejeebas out of most entrepreneurs. Right. Well, and I know for us, one of the things we have struggled with as we've been implementing this is, you know, what I call addition by subtraction, how we've lost some team members and, you know, you have to deal with that transition. But in the long run, I've been really hopeful about the losses we've had. And I feel like it's been a positive thing from a a core value standpoint. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. some people on your team just really aren't a great match for your core values and your vision. But I mean, that's its own set of trouble. You know, Mm -hmm. I think as a visionary, at least I know for me, it's been, I mean, I both have to offer that encouragement to the rest of my team as we're losing somebody like that's okay. Like, I actually think this is a positive thing, but at the same time, knowing that it's going to cause instability, it's going to cause revenue issues. Like it's got some, you know, some deep causal effects flow from that. And it's been interesting, I think, to to watch the team come together around some of these, we call them bumps in our office. We kind of planned for 2021 to be a very bumpy year. And so we find, you know, we're dealing with those bumps and, but it's, you know, it's been difficult. And I think that it's important for people to understand, you know, that these things, I've heard a lot of companies where this happens when they implement this and really focus on their core values and really learn to hire around their core values and Mm -hmm. hold people accountable, you know, using their core values and all those things that we learn as part of that EOS system. Have you all experienced any of that or? (laughs) Yeah. So um, I reached out because at least, you know, that making this transition is not easy. Yeah. And, and it's a learning process. So I reached out to one of my friends in EO who has done it successfully. And I'm like, okay, Mike, like, (laughs) dude, this is killing me. And he's like, your number one job is to be the keeper of your culture. Right. And the core values. And that is where you really make the difference. That is where you have the impact. And so I love that you're talking about the core values with your team and, and that that's front and center and important because it, it really is. And hundred oh, percent. Yeah. I mean, I think it makes all the difference. I mean, I, you know, it sounds silly when you talk about in a way being the keeper of your culture, but I mean, I take that part of my role very, very important. And I think it's just critical to helping the team deal with the bumps. You know, they might not be in all the meetings and understanding all the things, but obviously they feel it when a team member leaves or they feel it when work has to be shifted. And 
being able to be the keeper of that culture, I think is critical. I mean, to our well-being as a group. Absolutely. And you don't want to be, and I have to say, I have done this before. <laughs> I'm sure I've done it all bad. <laughs> and we've all done it. But the the whole thing when somebody leaves and you're like, ding dong, the witch is dead. Like, that's not really healthy. We need to respect the people that have worked with us and they've helped us get to Absolutely. where we are, but they're not necessarily the right person to move us to the next level. Absolutely. And, you know, your team looks to you as you go through that transition. Is this okay? Is she concerned? That was a major person on the team. That was the right. only person who knew how to do blank. Right. Is Elise panicking? No, she's not. Okay, well, this must not be that big of a deal. She must not be too worried. Yeah, it's a, it is such an interesting dynamic. I feel like I'm growing personally so much in this process of really coming to have, I mean, deep-seated gratitude for the people who are on my team, even if they're on my team for a shorter period than I intended, really mm -hmm. having gratitude for what they brought and really trying to see what they brought and, and be able to build on that, you know, because everybody brings something wonderful, even somebody who is, you know, you can't see that wonderful, really obviously, but I mean, sometimes it's just an amazing opportunity to really learn better hiring or understanding testing around hiring or, you know what I mean? Like making sure we really are hiring on our core values. I had a boss very early on in my career. I was kind of in a situation where I answered to multiple people and the person to whom I technically answered was just God awful. And my mentor said, you, you will learn more from the bad boss than you will from a good one. So and true. I think the same is with a, a, a bad hire. Yeah, I think there's a lesson everywhere. Sorry, Pam, I totally cut you off. No worries. <laughs> yes, I think that there are things and I think the gratitude comes from sometimes those people make you a better leader. Oh, absolutely. And if you can model that in front of the team and when you make the tough decisions, I think the, the dialogue that goes on around that decision needs to be really authentic, right? Absolutely. And oftentimes it's what you say and the fact that you're being transparent at that time that the, you often, I always believe that when somebody leaves, you as the leader say more to the people that stay than you do to that person that leaves. And so yeah. you often get a lot of renewed um, loyalty, when people transition and we observe, and I don't know, I think maybe I've shown you at Cathedral Capital, we have lots of references to mountaineering, right? Yeah. And so we have like four different mountains that we think most entrepreneurs journey. And we have this, we liken ourselves to Sherpas, right? And so we have the entrepreneur climbing these, these four mountains. And, you know, if we had a, a more detailed graphic, it would show actually that there are ranges of mountains at different right. levels. But in each movement from one mountain to the next higher mountain, you see a decline. Right. And you cannot grow again until you have some regrouping. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, what you're talking about, about some of the bumpiness is we've got to come down and start putting in new systems and 
stabilizing areas before we can take the next big, big jump. And that jump can come at a much faster pace with much more momentum. But first you have to to come down and find a new baseline, a new normal. And part of the, the biggest part of that journey is the people that helped you climb that mountain might not want to climb or might not have the resonant skill set to take you to the next level. Right. And so that you have to make tough decisions because you, you as an owner, particularly on the first mountain, which is just get her done, are so grateful, so grateful for the people who helped you get up to that point. Absolutely. That you really struggle with the fact that they're not going to come with you on the whole rest of the journey. Right. So I think one of the things that I see entrepreneurs not expecting is that the journey up the mountain is one of really perfecting your grief and honoring it for what it was and not focusing on what it could have been. I think that is such a good point. I mean, I think that's just spot on. I was actually talking to somebody this weekend and because I tend to be that person that always is turning the mirror on myself just constantly. I'm like, you know, what did I do? What did I, you know, how did I not support this team member well enough or what, you know, all the things that I can really own, which obviously I do think is important. Don't get me wrong. I think it's very important for me to own my part and figure out what I did wrong. If I did anything wrong and which no doubt I did, and you know, we always do it's okay on it. But at the same time, you can get to a point, I think where it's like, like you say, they're just not going to be on your journey. And I call it on my bus. They're just not going to ride my bus all the way till you know, the final destination. And that's perfectly okay. That transition allows them to find a a fit that's hopefully better for where they are. And it allows us to find a fit, which I think is, it just is opportunities abounding. And so I really have flipped that to really focus on the gratitude, like Brooke was talking about of what they've done when they've been here. I mean, and and, and we as women appreciate probably more than others that we've had so many unique stages of our lives, right? We've had the job that was perfect for us when our kids were little. And in my case, that was retirement. Then we had the job that, you know, was great when our kids were in middle school, because we're very capable of understanding that during those middle school, high school years, you know, you're, you're basically an Uber driver, right? (laughs) And you're going to all these events and whatnot. And a baker, you're a baker. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but you have to be you have to be in the right role to facilitate your work-life integration. Absolutely. And your work-life integration changes. And then when your kids launch like yours and mine, it's like, wait, it's a little bit about me now. <laughs> and so we often liken the journey of entrepreneurs, particularly female entrepreneurs, that you know, you can get your business to a certain level and you can hang out there for a while. Right. And then when the kids are launched, right, throw some gas on it, baby, and let's scale. Exactly. Exactly. But I think that's the joy of an entrepreneurial journey is the ability to make those decisions that do resonate with your life and working on that integration. And I love how you call it work-life integration rather than work-life balance. I don't know. I find, you know, there's not often a balance that works. I mean, it's, it's cyclical. Right. But I can't lay claim to that 
the the uh, Brooke and I have a coach, right? And and this is is her terminology because she likens it to you know work life balance is more like a seesaw, exactly. And and it's more it's more like this, right? Yep. How do you make um, it work together? Absolutely. And I mean, I think Pam hits the nail on the head. It's different at different stages. And I think, mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about how can Cathedral Capital work with different entrepreneurs at different stages, I mean, tell us a little bit about that because we have people in our Maximum Lawyer group who are, you know, true solos, you know, starting out practices. And then obviously we have the, you know, people who are, you know, have million dollar months. And I mean, what what does that look like, you know, from cathedral capitals position and how do you all help people as fractional CFOs and the other services you provide? The most important thing is to realize that we meet our clients where they are. Right. Every business is different. Every business that has a million dollar month is, is different from every other law firm that has a million dollar month. Right. And we are all about finding the solution that's right for your firm at that moment and finding the solution that's right for your firm at that moment, that's going to help you achieve the goals that you want. So we really talk to our attorneys a lot. Like, what is it? What's going on? What do you need? Because until we understand their life, we can't possibly build a business for them that will integrate with it. Right. Is that a fair assessment, Pam? Yeah. And I think uh, another point is, we have a really diverse group of, of, um, of coaches, of CFOs, of accountants, of bookkeepers. And so for some clients, we're soup to nuts. For other clients, we work just on strategy. And so we really try to listen to, to the clients to say, okay, where are your biggest pain points? And who from our, our broad team can we put on your team to help you get to the next level? And our expectation is that we will grow with you. And so you might start off with a a particular team that meets your needs at that point. And then you say, okay, the next year or in the next three years, I want to go from here to here. And we say, okay, to do that, you really need to stabilize your business and you need to do things like implement EOS. And so we might put somebody forth who, who is very task oriented, who is very accountability driven. And then you get to that point and you say, okay, I want to diversify because my bliss as, as a leader is in the infancy of the company. And so then we work with you. We work on a lot of people issues, right? Because (laughs) we know attorneys are really good, really good at being attorneys and then they're challenged with finances and then they're challenged with people issues and they love to do random acts of marketing. And so, yeah, I know. Right. So we work with the owners on those different things and, and we hire to create that diversity so that we have somebody on our team who, who can, can help you get to the next level, you know, and, and it, it really depends. So, you know, I can talk to you about, I have a client who is probably the most data-driven person and all she needs to do is pour gas onto it. I have other clients that are much larger and that need to go back to some basics. And so it, to, to us, it's not so much about the size you are. It's more about what you aspire 
to do and what your goals are as an individual, and then how those translate and align with the goals of the business. So, you, you know, you and I, we talk about the, the um, EOS and the Jumbotron and all that kind of stuff. And you can have all the analytics on there you want, but I have a client and one of the things on, on her on her scorecard is, did you have work-life integration this week? It's a yes or no question. I love but, that. But that's, she does not lead well when she gets out of whack. Right. And so every week she has to answer that question and we put it on and we graph it and, and we, you know, Brooks had clients where they view success as what was it, Brooke, getting to the, the ball field on time? <laughs> oh, and all kinds of different things. You know, the, I, we had a client that wanted to go to Wednesday morning swim lessons. And, right. I, you know, we have to design the firm that meets your needs. Right. Well, and I think that we as owners sometimes forget that our needs really are going to drive us if we're true about them. And if we really are in alignment with what we say we want I mean, I do think people sometimes find themselves in the shoulds, you know, like they think they should want a certain thing. Right. And I think really getting clear on what you actually want. Like, I mean, I have a friend and she puts it as, you know, write down, like, if you were a bad girl, what do you want? Like, if you were not the responsible, like, (laughs) you know, all that's awesome. I want to do that list. And just like write down what you actually want. If everything was fair game without regard to responsibility, all the things. And it's fascinating. I think when you really get to that place and you really look at what you want, and then you look at your work and figure out, well, I can integrate these things. Like I can make this work. I mean, I'm kind of a firm believer in nothing is impossible. I mean, I'm always like, Okay, if that's what we want to do, we can do it. We just are going to have to find a way. Yeah. Yeah. We'll figure it out. I think it is, you know, we'll find a way, we'll figure it out, we'll make it work. We're entrepreneurs, we do that. Like we problem solve all day long. All day. Which is why, for God's sake, somebody else just picked the restaurant for dinner. Like, (sighs) I'm done with decisions by the end of the day. Oh my gosh, the decision fatigue is real. Oh, I mean, I sometimes say to my husband, I'm like, you actually want me to read the email from the contractor about the kitchen? I'm like, no, no. you are going to have to figure out which knobs are the thing because I've got no idea. And I cannot read the eight paragraphs he just wrote me in a font that I can't even read. Like, about doesn't kitchen know knobs. Fonts? <laughs> I dated a guy and all he would say is whatever you want, Brooke Elizabeth. And I'm like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Just make a flipping decision. He used to say, we're no longer dating. <laughs> and make the cut. The Guild is an insanely productive community of lawyer entrepreneurs with a growth mindset who share their collective genius and hold each other accountable to take their careers and businesses to the next level. But in 2021, we are upping the game. In addition to exclusive access to the group, FaceTime with the two of us, discounted pricing for live events, and front seat exposure to live recording and podcasts and video, we are mapping out for members the exact growth playbook with our new program, Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships and experience content specifically designed to complement your plan for growth. 
For a limited time only, the Maximum Lawyer and Minimum Time program will be offered for free to all new Guild members. Join us by going to maxlawguild.com. It's really hard, though. I think decision fatigue is real, and especially when you've been running the business yourself without that team, without that integrator, without all those other people helping. I mean, you could easily have 200 decisions in a day. I mean, <laughs> yes. And and you realize that things that are tough for you to make a decision about kitchen knobs, for example, <laughs> there are people on your team that that's an easy, easy decision for. And they would love it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so finding where your bliss is and and designing your role around that only benefits your business. Right. If you can let go yeah. a little. Yeah, it's the, the caveat. It's a hard part. And I try as well, and I'm sure you do too, to help your team members each have their job in their bliss, where they are in their zone of genius, because then they too are able to level up what they're doing because what they do, they love. It's easy to them. They're not being drained by it. And I think finding the strengths in my team members, that's one of the things I love doing the most is maximizing each team member and figuring out, you know, what really motivates and propels them and what, where do they just feel like they're in their zone of genius? Yes. And I think that one of the things I admire about you, Elise, is that you've invested a lot in yourself. And when you chose this, the next stage of, you know, letting go and, and making room for other people that you're also investing in them. Because I think a lot of owners and people that, that move into that integrator role, you know, they're usually promoted from somebody who, who's really good at client service, Right. But the integrator has sales reporting to them, has marketing reporting to them, has finance reporting to them, has HR reporting to them. All things that you've learned over what the last 10, 15 plus years, you know, they're just coming up that learning curve and making space for them and investing in them is hard because you oh. have the answers. Yeah, but that's critical, I think, to to invest in them and let them come into it in their own too. That's going to be different than what I learned. Do you know what I mean? I feel like your integrator really can bring a different perspective that I wouldn't have. That's one of my favorite things is when people tell me things and I'm like, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> unfortunately, yes. that happens a lot now. Not right, unfortunately, then, fortunately, like that's yeah, awesome. It is. It but is. I think where owners you know, it's easy for you as the owner to make a mistake, right? Because you right. own your decisions. Right. But when you decide to move yourself into another role, you're now going to pay for the mistakes and have grace for people as they mistake, make mistakes, as you had to give that grace and that permission to yourself. Right. And not all owners are prepared that it won't be perfection. Oh, I think that's really important to come into this. Like we joked about our bumpy year. I mean, we've called it the year of renovation. You know, we bought this house, so we're renovating the house and we have the firm, we're renovating the firm. And I literally yeah. feel like I'm having an entire year 
of renovation. And, and it is, it's got bumps, it's got valleys, it's got sharp rocks <laughs> that we're running into. It's got highs. I mean, it's got it all, you know, yeah. but I think, I think really it's important to accept that. And I, I don't know, I, maybe we're bumpier than most, but I kind of doubt it. I feel like we're probably, you know, average bumpy. <laughs> Um, you know, I think it's important though, for people to accept that because I think you can set up your leaders for real failure. If, you know, you're not willing to see the bumpiness that's going to be coming and realize that they do need that grace that you were able to give yourself for all the years you were learning. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's critical. Actually, I'm going to take a slightly different tack on that. Yeah. I think we need to give our people more grace than we give ourselves. Oh. I think that as entrepreneurs, we're really hard on ourselves. Uh, yeah, we are. And that if we truly gave our employees the grace we give ourselves, everybody would quit. Everybody would. <laughs> I mean, well, she's she's telling the truth. I, I mean, you know, our mean girls are um, strong-willed. My, I have a college roommate who's an organizational psychologist. And she calls it the itty bitty shitty committee. <laughs> And let me tell you that itty bitty uh -oh. shitty committee is really loud in our heads. Oh, and we have learned how to function through it, but we have to be kinder to our employees in the itty bitty shitty committee. And Pam's right. You have to realize that when you hire someone, you have to graciously pay for their mistakes. Absolutely. And it's graciously, and you have to give them grace that you don't necessarily give yourself. Right. I think that's been such a big learning for me, you know, is, is doing that. And, and the gracious part of me, truly not feeling resentful or not feeling upset or not feeling angry and looking at it differently. I mean, I've had to really flip my mindset around certain things, you know, and not look at it from just a monetary perspective and actually look at it from a growth perspective and really sit down. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm doing this at a girl thing now where I really try to look back, look back one month, look back three months, six months, and really see the growth and actually stop and say like, wow, that was big. Like we've made big yeah. improvements. I just wrote something for CEO nation about how to stay motivated. And it is about that ability to look back, to see where you were six months ago, to see where you were three years ago, because we are hard on ourselves oh. and to so see hard. all the progress. And, and, you know, Pam alluded to this earlier, Elise, you know that when we're running the show, we're like making a decision every second we're moving forward. We're like, go, 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 go. And then as we get bigger, as we add an integrator, as they start letting those balls fall, which just makes me nuts. I mean, nuts. Pam, nuts. Um, oh, trust me. I feel it. I, I try so it. hard. I try so oh, hard. Yeah, but she, you know, this kind of comes back to the thing that we all have to be authentic, right? So, so as as people make mistakes and, and you provide them some grace, understand that we have, what do you call it? The itty bitty shitty committee committee, itty yeah. bitty shitty committee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we all have that, whether you're the visionary right. or the integrator. And so I think that particularly as women, um, it's a matter of us coming into our own and, you know, 
not being told, oh, that's okay. It doesn't bother me. You know, it's really, um, and this is something that we invest in at, at, at CathCap, is finding an outside source to help us find that work-life integration, that work on our worthiness, work on, you know, where we have head trash and knowing that we all have head trash and then trying to grow up and mature in as a person, to your point, you've grown a lot this year, but also as a team, right? Because Mm -hmm. just like nobody could tell you at least, you know, you made a mistake or at least you could have done better or at least you did the best that you could in that circumstance, right? Mm-hmm. Is somebody going to believe it when somebody else tells them? No, you believe it when when you own it. Right. And I think that attaboy that you say that you look back and you're like, I was kind of good. <laughs> and I think giving your people that permission and I think also realizing that you know, when you look at that mistake, when you look at that, one of the people on our team has a phrase that I love. Well, no puppies fell down the well. And she's right. No puppies fell down the well. Nobody died. It's not the end of the world. What did we learn? Exactly. We learned something. Yeah. We learned that you can't stick a fork in an electrical outlet. It does not go well. Right. And I think that's one of Brooke's real skills. And I said, you know, I wouldn't have done gone on this journey with someone else is that Brooke can own her mistakes in front of the team. Yeah. Brooke can receive. I have a lot of practice in that. (laughs) Brooke can also receive feedback where we said, Hmm, could we have done that better? And not a lot of owners can be receptive to that. So I think that as you grow as, as a leader, it's not just about you being the smartest person in the room. It's about you making space. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and well for it, us, one of our core values is radical candor. And I mean, the thing I love about radical candor is that it goes all the ways. Like it's not just me having radical candor with others. It's others having radical candor with me and being able to tell me like, Elise, this system you have in place kind of sucks. Like we need to fix it. <laughs> And I'm like, cool. Like, like I thought it was awesome, but okay. I'm just like to bring it on. Tell me what your ideas are. Like, you know, and then I'm like, let's get our system girl on this and let's get this worked out because God knows I am not the system girl. (laughs) So, but it's, it has been so freeing, I think, to have people be able to just say and bring up their ideas and their thoughts and, and know that, I mean, I mean, I hate to say I'm never going to react poorly, but it is surely my intention to never react poorly and to truly hear what I'm being told from the place I'm being told it. And it's, you know, radical candor is the whole idea of caring personally and challenging directly. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing when it works. I mean, it truly is. It's, it's awesome. I love that. And one of the things that we do is we do a lot of testing before we hire people. Yeah. We are pretty damn candid. Okay. Radical <laughs> candor is not one of our, we, we don't our have core to values. Yeah. We don't have to work on that. We're, we're good at that, but we also are very careful to hire people yeah. that can stand up to that because Completely. that, that can be brutal for people who aren't, who aren't ready for it. It, it truly is. I do think, I mean, you must balance the caring personally and challenging directly. I don't know if you've ever read Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor, but I mean, mm-hmm. 
if you practice radical candor in a way where those two are not properly balanced, I mean, it can become bullying. You know what I mean? It can be difficult. And so it is, I agree. And I think it is so important. And I mean, I really try to encourage that type of communication because I'm just a good Southern girl. I mean, you know how we are. We kind of say what we say, you know, we sometimes throw a bless your heart at the end. So it kind of sounds nicer, but like, <laughs> but yeah, you know, but I mean, you what know, you like, really, <laughs> was that the best choice for a hairstyle? Oh gosh. Don't even get me started on, I mean, clothes the whole bit. I mean, my poor daughter, I think was traumatized by life with me as a mother, you know, she'd come out one day in an outfit. And I'm like, is this dress like a hooker day or what? Like what <laughs> do you have on? <laughs> she was like, oh, I guess I'm changing. <laughs> like, oh yes. And one of the things we've invested in on, on our part, and I think Elise, you, you kind of, and Brooke, accentuated this. One of the things that our clients tell us that they like about us is that we're, we're strong women, right? right? That we, they're attracted to our strength. They're attracted to our candor and that they're so grateful that we're empathetic. Right. Yeah. I think that that lack of judgment is really important. And I, I think one of my first clients, he was like client number two or three said, I'm going to have to show you my underwear drawer. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I am not coming lived actually near you, Elise. I'm not coming out there to see what are you talking about? He said, you know, that underwear that's in the back, (laughs) the ratty. That's ratty, maybe some skid marks that didn't quite come out. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't need to know this. He's like, I'm going to have to show you my financial underwear drawer. I love that. And I was like, yeah, you are, but that's okay. Cause we're going to make it better. And one of the things that people really don't realize about us is we have seen worse. Right. I promise we have seen worse. We have seen people who owed double-digit millions in back income tax, and we're paying it off, oh, yes, at like $1,500 or $2,000 a month. We've seen people that have had over a million dollars in payroll tax due. We've seen clients that had almost seven figures in credit card debt. We've seen, we've seen it. I promise right. you, we have seen it, and we've seen it worse. And And what we have realized in all of these scenarios that we saw is that owner made the best decision they could at the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Like a mother, like a mother, you do the best you can given the circumstances and you drop the child on their head. (laughs) And my sister can still string together a sentence because yes, I did that. By the way, don't put a child on the trunk of a car and think that they're not going to roll over. Just saying, I had to learn that rule that that lesson is is like 15, 16 year old. But anyway, I love the thought that y'all could create a tagline around, you know, up leveling your underwear drawer. (laughs) Yeah, it is. We're going to clean out that underwear drawer for you. But it's great because, you know, we every single business owner did the best they could. They made the best decision they could at the time with the information they had. 
and there's only one place to go and that's up and better exactly. and and that's okay and that's oh, and why I we're think- here Digging into the numbers with you all and understanding what's happening, the good, the bad and the ugly. I think it's just so empowering because you're able to really then make decisions and you look at things differently. And I know when I get on the phone with Pam, there's times that I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, what is she going to say? And it's been I mean, I think having somebody who is candid and who but you know that she knows what she's talking about. I mean, Pam's got an understanding of things that's so helpful. Just You just know she's got this, but she's also understands my weirdness, you know, and she'll listen to my stuff and what I'm trying to do. And that's huge. I mean, you know, because you got to be able to integrate it. I mean, I think you all say it so well when you talk about that, you know, work, human integration. I mean, you have to get it. And into so if you if you get that, you can also give that to your team. Right. Because yeah. that's really what most people want yep. is to say, I'm going to show up for you and you give the flexibility to integrate these two things. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's obviously for our office. That's a huge part of what we do and how we do it. I mean, we are so into you know, providing that flexibility and staying nimble enough that we can always provide that flexibility. I think just being a mom of, you know, four and two step kids, I mean, dealing with six kids definitely required some nimbleness. <laughs> so that's a houseful. Oh, girl, <laughs> you don't even know. I mean, the things I have done in the places I have done them, you know, I think of court hearings on top of mountains as I'm bringing children to look at a school and I'm like, Yes, I can do an immediate, you know, restraining order hearing. I'm just happened to be on the top of a mountain in Colorado. And I sure hope my service is going to you know, withstand this, but I'm good. <laughs> you know, and at least you and I are mothers of a certain age. And, you know, we had to make tough choices as we went along. And, and one of the things that one of the reasons I so enjoy working at CathCap is because we're trying to offer opportunities for women to get that life that work-life integration that weren't available when we were young professionals. You know, most of our team, over half of our team works part-time. Right. You know, and and flexible. So they work the hours that work for them. So, you know, part of the mission is to make it better so that, that women don't, I think the one thing, that, that if I could eradicate is, is maternal um, regret. Totally. I agree. You know? Yep. I do. And there's times in our lives where you have to make choices and, you know, my husband and I were just reflecting on that. We just celebrated 26 years and I'm like, you know, those were some bad years. He goes, yeah, but there were some benefits of that too. I'm like, really tell me. And he just went, and listed a bunch of benefits. He was like, I lived in Russia and I didn't have to experience them. (laughs) But I think that some of it is, you know, for, for particularly for strong mothers is that sometimes when you're not available, it makes space for somebody else to step in and do it. And, you know, the, the spouses might not be as good as it, as you are, but gosh, darn it. If they aren't entertaining. 
Oh, well, and they're great for the kids. I mean, I feel like in a divorce practice, I tell people all the time, I'm like, your spouse doesn't have to do it just like you for it to be valuable to the child, you know? And I mean, sometimes dads do the most hilarious things in their parenting. And I'm like, this is amazing for your child. I mean, think of all the opportunities your child has by having this experience and instead of attacking it, embrace it and see your husband's strengths. Which I, I'm pretty sure that most husband's strengths are not running carpools dropped oh. off at the school. The mothers just laugh at how they don't understand the rules and they just get her done. And you never know giving them space might make your kids appreciate you just a little bit more. Exactly. I don't know. My father was the opposite. He, um, he kind of let my sister in on a secret early on. She was in like sixth grade and had a dance and my mother was out of town and I was, you know, probably out of college at this point. And so she said, I need black shoes. My father said, okay, well, I, I guess we go to Neiman's. So took the sixth grader to Neiman's for shoes. She had more expensive shoes in sixth grade than I did at like 26. Of course. <laughs> with your employee discount, nonetheless. Yeah, with my employee discount. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. My mother's like, I'm sorry, you took her where? He's like, well, I didn't know where to get shoes. My sister, meanwhile, was like, he started this Stuart Weitzman thing for her that she still has to this day. That's hilarious. I love that. What a good dad. What a good dad. <laughs> my mother's like, I can't afford to keep this one going. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I'm so glad the two of you joined me today. I really, really appreciate it. And we will put um, information about Cathedral Capital in the notes for the show, because I would love for people to be able to reach out to you all. Can you tell us a little bit, Brooke, just about the name of your book that you wrote that I think everyone should read? Sure. I think I have one on my desk. Oh, good. That'd be awesome if you could show it so then people would recognize it. Where did my book go? <laughs> you probably gave it to your last client. Well, all my clients got one. Okay, I have a version. All right, so my book is called From Panic to Profit, How Six Key Numbers Can Make a Six-Figure Difference in Your Law Firm. I do have a version that is not going to show up because I'm using a green screen. Oh, yeah. This is like just disaster day. What can I say? <laughs> well, there so you normally, go. Normally I have one handy, but I'm yeah, traveling. So. I don't know. Well, well we I, will I put a picture of it. We <laughs> yeah. will put a picture of it in the show notes so that we can have that. So people will recognize it because I think it is such a helpful read for law firm owners. It really is. You know, I wrote it for the true attorney, that person that went to law school because they were promised no numbers. <laughs> and it's a really, it's an easy read with a bunch of stories about looking at some simple metrics in your firm that will help you go from panic to profit. Right. Well, I really appreciate it. And I hope you two have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. We will. Thank you. Thanks yeah. Bye guys. Us. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.